0: When I was a kid, I loved watching uh, TV shows and movies about the future um, and kind of dreaming about what the future was going to be like. And uh, one of those uh, series that I really loved was the Back to the Future trilogy uh, that came out in the 1980s, where um, in one of the films, they portrayed the distant year of 2015, um, that uh, and what, what what it was going to look like and and one of the ways they portrayed that 2015 was there going to be flying cars all over the place and and this amazing thing hoverboards that, that you could you could ride these instead of skateboards there were hoverboards that hovered above the ground and man when I saw that I said I can't wait until 2015 when I can get myself a hoverboard. Um, of course, now 2015 is seven years in the past, and uh, we're st- I'm still waiting for those hoverboards. I'm still waiting for the flying cars. Um, but you know, there are other things that, uh, that we sometimes have, have seen in, in movies or TV shows of the past that they imagine what the future might be like that actually have happened. Um, I remember uh, several years ago when when Samsung uh, came out with uh, their Galaxy Gear smartwatch, and, and you know, the Apple Watch was coming out. Um, and in one of the commercials that they ran during that time was they showed how different TV shows of the past had envisioned something similar, some uh, watches that could function as phones, uh, like ones from Dick Tracy. So you can see some of these of these older uh, watch phones, kind of that were in in shows like Dick Tracy and Star Trek and the Jetsons and Inspector Gadget, and the tagline of this commercial was, "After all these years, it's finally real." And that finally this this watch had happened, right? Where you could actually call someone uh, from from your watch. Uh, now, the actual smartwatches that you can buy today, like the Samsung's or the Apple Watch, they are they're different from what the TV shows the past envisioned, you know, even, and, and even though it it looks different as, as Samsung says, it's finally real There's something about those, those earlier versions that pointed ahead to, to maybe what, what would come, uh, one day that, that, that was only a dream, um, back in the past, but now it is actually a present reality. Uh, well, during this season of Advent, we're going to be looking at some dreams for the future, that God gave to the prophet Isaiah. Uh, and, and we're going to see that, that some of these visions that, that God gave to Isaiah right about things that were going to happen in the future, that they, some of them beca- begin to become reality when Jesus was born, um, as, as we think about Christmas that we're, that we're heading towards. But like the smartwatch, um, the fulfillment didn't always look exactly like the people expected. Some of the the ways that Isaiah spoke about things maybe didn't end up fleshing out exactly the way that people were expecting at the time. And there are also elements of Isaiah's um, prophecies and and visions that he gives that are actually still in the future, that are, are, are still to come, that have not been fully realized even until Jesus' second coming, which again, during the season of Advent, we are in this posture of waiting for the final fulfillment of some of these things when Jesus returns. So I've I've decided to title this series over these next couple Sundays, um, Advent, Glimpses of Jesus in the Book of Isaiah. Uh, so during the season of Advent, we're going to be looking at glimpses of Jesus that we see in the book of Isaiah. Um, and, and for each Sunday in Advent, we're going to be looking at a different prophecy that we see in Isaiah and how each of these gives us glimpses of Jesus, uh, both of his first coming um, at, at Christmas, but also of his second coming. And so today we're going to be looking at um, the, kind of the, the focus that I'm going to be looking at today is, is Jesus, the new temple. We're going to see um, how, how what Isaiah says in this passage about the temple in Jerusalem actually points ahead to Jesus, who is the new temple. And we'll, we'll flesh that out as, as, I, as I preach through this today. So our text today is from um, the book of Isaiah, chapter 2. And we'll be looking at verses 1 through 5, which is on page 848 in the Pew Bibles. So Isaiah, chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Let us come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths." The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for uh, the prophet Isaiah, and uh, the ways that you spoke to him, Lord, to give him your word, to proclaim both to his, his people, uh, the people of Judah, uh, but also beyond that, even to us today, uh, as we remember your first coming, Jesus, but also as we look forward to your second coming. And, uh, and so we pray that you would uh, open our eyes to even understand this passage more fully um, and how it points uh, to you, Jesus. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we look at, at how this passage uh, from Isaiah gives us glimpses of Jesus, I want to start by, by just kind of trying to understand this, this, this vision of the future, Isaiah's vision of the future. Um, who was Isaiah? Um, and, and what was he talking about kind of um, more broadly in this passage? Well, the prophet Isaiah... Um, lived and ministered about 700 years before Jesus was born. So, this is, you know, centuries before Jesus came. And at that time, um, the, the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms the northern kingdom that, that continued to be called um, Israel, and then the southern kingdom of Judah. And, it, and Isaiah specifically ministered um, and prophesied to the southern kingdom of Judah. And one of the things that he did, we see this in the book of Isaiah, is that he was warning the people of Judah that because of their sin and their rebellion against God, they would be conquered. And they would be led into exile to Babylon. And so much of the book of Isaiah has these prophecies of warnings um, about what was to come. Um, But Isaiah also, in, in this book, speaks a lot about hope. Um, which is, again, that, that, that candle, that first candle, right? the candle of hope, that, that, that there was this hope that God would one day also rescue his people, that he would rescue them out of exile, um, that he would actually bring a remnant back to the land. Um, And and he gives this this hopeful picture uh, that we first see in in, uh, our our chapter 2, verse verse 2, in in the chapter I just read. So just to read that again, verse 2 says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Uh, So here Isaiah, he's referring to the mountain, that the temple was built upon, Mount Zion. Um, and, And he isn't talking literally about this mountain growing and becoming the tallest mountain of the world. Um, but he's using a figure of speech that, that people in his context would have understood meant that, that sort of as a te- this idea of the temple being raised above all mountains is, is speaking about how the God who is represented by the temple would be one day exalted as God over all, um, that as the one true God above all others. And that even, this is, the, this is the amazing thing that Isaiah speaks about, that even people from other nations will come to worship the god of Israel that that, that this that God's prophecy here is not just for Israel, but it's actually for the nations. It's for the world, which is something that actually God had given a promise way back in Genesis to Abraham, that through Abraham, all peoples on earth would be blessed, right? So this vision that, that, that God gives to Isaiah is this, this fulfillment of what he talked about in Abraham, that all nations would one day come to worship the God of Israel. Now, in the, in the translation that I read from the, the New International Version, NIV, that's the, the Pew Bibles we have, um, it, it says that that this would happen in the last days um, that, that you see at the beginning of that verse. And we might assume that that Isaiah here then is, it must be talking about the end of the world, right? In the, the very end, uh, when 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 Christ will come again. Um, but the Hebrew phrase that's actually used here, it literally says, in the afterword of these days. Um, and, and so and other translations sometimes read in the latter days or in days to come. Um, and, and, and we see this actually throughout the Bible, in, in, that there are, there are passages that sometimes speak about the last days or the latter days that, that are that are pointing ahead to the very end, right, to when Christ will return. But there's a sense that when Jesus came the first time, that was also sort of the beginning of the last days that, that when Christ came actually it's the beginning of this period of time that 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 uh, that the bible speaks of sometimes in different in different ways so the question you know if isaiah here is talking he's talking about days in the future from when he's prophesying right but the question is how far into the future is he talking about here well Part of Isaiah's prophecy, um, well, first of all, the part of Isaiah's prophecy about Judah going into exile, that came true about a hundred years after he died. That, that actually, that's exactly what happened, right? They, the, the, the people of Judah were conquered by the Babylonians, um, and, and, but then, and actually the, the temple at that time was destroyed. Uh, the temple that, that Isaiah, that was around at the time when Isaiah was prophesying. But then, part of Isaiah's prophecy also came true about 70 years later where a remnant of people came back to the land. Um, and when they came back, guess what happened? They built a new temple. And so all of a sudden the temple that had been destroyed in, in, in the Babylonian conquering, now there was a new temple. And so you can imagine that people, when that was happening, right, the remnant had come back to Judah and the temple is built. You can imagine people thinking, all right, are Isaiah's words going to come true, right? When he talked about the mountain of the Lord being exalted and, and, and will, will the temple and the God of Israel be lifted up above all others? Will all nations sort of come streaming here, but it didn't happen at that time, right? For the next 500 years or so, although the temple was rebuilt and, and, and God's people were again, living back in the land, they were under foreign control. Uh, one after one empire after another, the Persians and the Greeks and, and the Romans. And, and, and during that period of time, it sure looked like the temples and gods of those other empires were much higher and more dominant than, than them, right? They felt like they were, they were, they were conquered. They were, they were defeated. they were an occupied territory of Israel. The nations were certainly not streaming to Jerusalem to worship the God of Israel. But then something started to happen different people began to speak and act as if maybe this prophecy from Isaiah was starting to come true. Uh, we're gonna, one of the passages that we see around, around the time of Jesus' birth is, is an old man named Simeon, um, who was waiting for Israel's redemption. And in and, and Simeon, guess where he is? He's in the temple. And as he's in the temple, all of a sudden, this young couple comes in with their newborn baby baby Jesus. And Simeon goes over to them and, and he takes the baby in his arms and, and he sings that now his eyes have seen God's salvation, which he says is for Israel's glory. But also he says is a light for the Gentiles, a light for the nations. So as Simeon begins to speak about how, how this baby who's being born right now, it is for not just Israel. It is for the nation's. It taps into something of what Isaiah is saying here, right? The nations coming, streaming. And then we see magi from the east, from outside of Israel. And where are they coming? They're coming to Jerusalem. They're coming, streaming from the nations to Jerusalem. And who are they looking for? They're looking for the king, the one who is born king of Israel. The Jews. So we have these Gentiles, these nations, right? Coming to Jerusalem. And then we have these angels out in the, the hillside, appearing to this group of shepherds outside of Bethlehem. And one of the, one of the things that those angels are singing about is, is peace. Right? They, they sing about peace um, coming through the birth of this baby, which again is something that Isaiah is speaking about in this passage. And so after about 700 years, after Isaiah prophesied, you begin to wonder, is it kind of like that Samsung smartwatch commercial? After all these years, it, it's finally real? Is, is what Isaiah was speaking about, is it actually beginning to come true? Well, if it, wa- if it is, it wasn't looking exactly like the people had expected Right? Just like that smartwatch. It didn't look exactly like some of those other earlier TV shows and movies. Because, you see, at the time, what people were expecting was they were expecting the nation of Israel to be raised to a place of political power and prominence. That that they were going to rule, right? And that that the Messiah who was going to come was going to establish a political kingdom on earth. They were expecting the temple of Jerusalem to be lifted up above all other places of worship, But that didn't happen when Jesus came, did it? No. In fact, shortly after Jesus' death and resurrection ascension in in 70 AD, the Romans destroyed that second temple. And so the temple was then again destroyed. And Israel did not rise to a place of political power. So, So does this prophecy in Isaiah 2 actually point to Jesus? I believe it does, that we see aspects of it fulfilled in Jesus' first coming and other aspects that look ahead to his second coming. So I want to look uh, now at some of the glimpses of Jesus in Isaiah's vision. Ways that we see that, that this passage in Isaiah 2 is actually speaking about and looking ahead to to Jesus, and one of the keys to understanding this vision that Isaiah speaks about and how it might actually be pointing to Jesus comes from the Gospel of John chapter two. Uh, so in John two it records jesus cleansing of the temple in Jerusalem, so Jesus is at the temple in Jerusalem now as an adult. And one of the things that he does when he's in the temple, he's, he's chasing out the merchants and the money changers. And, and near the end of the passage, the Jewish leaders demand a sign from Jesus to show his authority to do these things. And Jesus replies, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And the Jewish leaders are taken aback by this. And they say, it took 46 years to build this temple. How could you do it in three days? And then in verse 21, John records this, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. See, Jesus saw his own body as the new temple, which would actually be destroyed on the cross, but then raised again in three days, right? On the third day. So when we see, we understand that Jesus in some ways saw himself as a new temple, actually fulfilling what the temple in Jerusalem had, had been about, we begin to think that maybe what Isaiah is speaking about here in Isaiah 2, about the temple being raised up, could it be that part of what Isaiah is actually speaking about is, is Jesus, the new temple. Um, and so what I want to look at is, is, is look at kind of four ways— that we see Jesus, if we think of Jesus as the new temple um, in this text, ways that we see glimpses of Jesus actually in this prophecy of I, in Isaiah 2. And, and we're going to see also that in each of these glimpses, that there are ramifications or implications for us today in our lives. So the first way that we see that is that Jesus is raised up. So one of the first things that we see in in Isaiah's prophecy here is he says that the mountain of the temple would be raised above the hills and established as chief among the mountains. Well, Jesus, guess what? He was raised up. He was literally raised up on the cross as he died for the sin of the world. And then, as he had predicted on the third day, his body was also raised up, raised up from the dead. And after appearing to his disciples for 40 days, his body was again raised up to heaven. Raised up to where he sits now at the place of ultimate power and authority. And so Jesus now is exactly what Isaiah spoke about. He is established as chief among all other rivals, right? He is lifted up as the king of kings and Lord of lords. And so when we see Jesus as the new temple, we see that his being raised up in these ways is actually embodying what Isaiah said about the mountain of the Lord's temple, that Jesus is raised up and established as chief among the mountains. Now, what does that mean for us today? Well, for one thing, because Jesus was raised up on the cross, our sins are paid for. Our sins are forgiven. And what happened at the temple? The temple in Jerusalem was the place where animals were sacrificed to cleanse the people of their sin. When Jesus was raised up on the cross, he paid for the sin of the world in full as the ultimate and final sacrifice. So, what did Jesus do? He fulfilled the role of the temple, right? He did what the temple had done in the past. He was doing now in his own body. He was the final sacrifice. And because Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and is is at this place of, of the ultimate power and authority, we can now have direct access to God through him. Because what was the temple in the Old Testament? The temple was the place where the people could come and meet God because he was dwelling with them in in this temple, in the Holy of Holies, right? But what happened when Jesus died on the cross? The temple curtain was torn in two. And now the temple was open, right? Because Jesus had, had paved the way he had opened the door for us to relate to God directly to him. We don't have to go to a temple anymore, right? God now is Directly with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the one who has where where heaven meets earth. He is now that intersection. He's now the new temple where God encounters us, where we can have direct access to God. So this is the first way that we see, I think, that this passage points to Jesus, right? Is that, that 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 just as the temple did these things, Jesus now has done those things in full, right? He has been raised up to pay for our sins in full so that we can have direct access to God. Now, the second way that we see Jesus functioning in in the ways that this passage is pointing ahead is that Jesus draws all nations to himself. Isaiah said that that all nations would stream to the Temple Mount. Um, In verse 3 of our text, it says, Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. To the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. So, how do we see uh, Jesus maybe fulfilling this role of, of, of people from many nations streaming to the temple? Well, in our scripture reading from John 12 that Debbie read, Jesus says, But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Right? Jesus uses the same language that Isaiah used to talk about the temple mountain. That, when, that being lifted up, right? Just like the mountain of the Lord will be lifted up. And what will happen? Nations will stream. Jesus says, when I am lifted up, all people will come to me. I'll draw all men to myself. It was this act of Jesus being lifted up on the cross that actually opened the door for people from all nations to come streaming to him. When Jesus gave his final great commission to his disciples, he told them, go and make disciples of all nations, right? That it was meant to now not just be for Israel, but it was for all nations. And then on the day of Pentecost, there were people in Jerusalem from all these different nations who had come to to be there at the day of Pentecost. And that is the day when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples So that each person was able to hear what the disciples said in their own language. God brought the nations streaming to Jerusalem so they could hear the good news about Jesus who had fulfilled what the temple had been, who was now the one who had been lifted up for them. And then from Jerusalem, the message went out to reach the nations, as Jesus said, to the ends of the earth. So this vision that we see Isaiah talking about here, right? That it's not just for Israel, but, but that one day it's going to be nations all streaming. We see the beginning of that fulfillment in Jesus. We see the beginning of that fulfillment in the day of Pentecost, right? As, as people from all these nations are coming, and as the word goes out to reach nations all around our world. So what does that mean for us today? Well, it means that no matter what nationality or race or ethnicity we are, we are all invited to come streaming to Jesus, to come streaming to Jesus, the new temple. That no nationality has preferential status. No nationality is excluded. That the people, the new people of God, are made up of, from people of every language, every nation, every culture. That's the vision we get in Revelation of heaven. That people be from every language, every tribe, every nation, and the more that we can see that reflected here on earth in, in the church is the, the more that we see this vision that Isaiah had, right? Of people from all nations streaming to, to Jerusalem. The more that we will see that, the glimpse of what, what heaven ultimately will be. Now, the third way that we see Jesus functioning, um, a glimpse of Jesus in this passage from Isaiah, is that Jesus sends out his word, In verse 3 of our text, we read, The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so Isaiah here speaks about God's word going out into the world from the temple in Jerusalem. And so if we think of Jesus as this new temple, what happens from Jesus? He is the source of God's word going out. Um, If we want to know what God says, we look to Jesus. He is the source of God's word going out. In the beginning of John's gospel, he says the word was made flesh and made his dwelling among us. That God's word became flesh in a human being. God's word became a human being. That's what we celebrate at Christmas right? The word of God taking on flesh, becoming human, and that this word then is then sent out from Jesus. He sends out the disciples with his word, right? To speak to the nations, to speak to people. Um, and what that means for us today is that, 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 first of all, when we can have confidence that when we look to Jesus, when we hear his words, we are seeing and hearing the word of God made flesh, that we are seeing Right there, God's word made flesh in Jesus. And we can trust it. And it also means that we who are followers of of Jesus have the privilege and responsibility of being the ones who bring that word to the world. That as as the word goes out from Jesus, right, we are ones who can take that word out. We are sent people, sent as messengers of his out into the world. And the fourth and final way that Jesus functions as the new temple is that Jesus brings peace. That Jesus brings peace. We see this aspect in verse 4, which says, He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Isaiah here gives this, this amazing picture of peace. This, 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 this is a picture of, of absence of conflict and absence of war, which he says results from the temple being raised up and, and the nation streaming to it. And so Jesus, as the, as, the, the, as the new temple, he is the source of peace. That if there's any hope for peace, it is in Jesus, it is in jesus uh, how does How does Jesus bring about peace? Well, the first kind of peace that he brings is a vertical peace, a peace between God and humanity that, that our sin makes us enemies of god, but jesus death and resurrection has reconciled us to God, bringing peace between us and in the scripture reading. Um, the other scripture reading that, that Debbie read from Isaiah 2, it talks about that, right? That, that he himself is our peace. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, peace to those who are near, um, in, this, in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. So the first way that God brings, Jesus brings peace is, is bringing peace between us and God, right? That we can now be reconciled to God. But that passage in Isaiah 2 also talks about peace being also horizontal that now Jews and Gentiles are together brought together into that, that the the dividing wall of hostility that existed between Jews and Gentiles because of Jesus. Now what it is broken down, right? They are brought together to be at peace with one another. And so when, because God, we, we see that peace that comes from us and God, it also flows out into our relationships with one another because God has forgiven us. We can now forgive one another. Um, and so when two people come to Jesus as the one who settles disputes and both fully submit to him, guess what? Peace will be the result. When two people come to Jesus and say, we are laying down, we're, we're submitting to you, Jesus, right? it will bring about peace between those people. And the same could even apply to nations, right? If you had two nations that that submitted themselves fully to Jesus, right? And saying, we are submitting ourselves to you, there could be peace, right? Between nations. Um, They would no longer take up swords against one another. Now, of course, we don't see that in our world today, right? Do we? And so clearly this aspect of Isaiah's vision its fulfillment is clearly in the future still, where where Isaiah speaks about this vision of of nations laying down. And we realize that it is not going to be fulfilled fully until Jesus returns, until he comes back, where this aspect of Jesus being the new temple that establishes peace, right, will not be fulfilled until Jesus returns. Um, But when he does, that will be the result. Right? The people and nations coming to God's house to hear from the Lord, to submit to Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and then there will be no more need for weapons of war. Now, what that means for us today, right, as we're in this waiting period, is that if we are in conflict with another believer, we are called to come together to the feet of Jesus, to the one who settles disputes, and to put down our weapons of warfare, whether that is our words or our attitudes, or gossip, or pride, or anything else, and allow Jesus to bring his peace into that relationship. And sometimes that takes a process. And sometimes it takes someone else to maybe even help mediate that process. But Jesus, as the new temple, he is able to bring peace between people as we submit ourselves to him. So as we close today... I want to ask you to consider one question. Do you see yourself in Isaiah's vision? Do you see yourself in in this glimpse that we get here? Are you one of the, the people from the many nations who Jesus has invited to come streaming to him? Do you, as the people in Isaiah's vision talked about how they say, come, let's go to the house of the Lord that we can learn God's ways and walk in his paths. Do you have that hunger right, to say, yes, I want to go to Jesus. I want to go to learn more about what, what God's ways are and to walk in his paths. Are you one of the ones that, that is willing to be sent out with God's Word, out from Jesus, out from Jerusalem, to bring it to others so that they might believe as well. Are you willing to submit yourself to God in order to be unified with others who are different from you? Are you willing to be willing to, to be brought together into this, this, this multicultural, multilingual community that is the church, and, and to be willing to put down our weapons of warfare and not fight with each other, but be willing to submit ourselves together? To Jesus. And recognize that our identity in Christ is way more important than some of the other things that we may differ about, some of the things that may sometimes divide us. As the final verse in our text says, come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And so that is an invitation for us today, that we would come as, as those who are recipients of that same promise to let us walk in the light of the Lord. And maybe today you realize that, that maybe you don't see yourself fully in this vision, or maybe that you are not walking in the light of the Lord completely. Um, maybe you're struggling to be unified with believers who are different from you. Or, or maybe you are afraid to bring God's word to others, and you're, you're shrinking back from that element of, of this. Or, or maybe you're resisting God's ways and his paths in your life. And if that's you, then I want to invite you to come to the foot of the cross and to look upon your Savior who was lifted up to pay for your sin in full, who became what the temple was for Israel in the Old Testament, who became the final sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, where there is no need for sacrifices anymore. The one who has opened the door for us to enter into the Holy of Holies to be with God forever and ever. Look to Jesus who has fulfilled Isaiah's vision perfectly and who will not cast you away. And hear his invitation and his assurance that this vision is for you too. And so come people of Emmanuel. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this vision that you gave to Isaiah, which we see uh, pointing ahead to Jesus. See the ways that Jesus fulfilled what that that temple was for Israel, Lord. Being the one who, who ended the sacrifices because, Jesus, you were the final sacrifice. And who opened the door for us to know you, God, perfectly as, as, as the, the, the Curtain Temple was torn in two, so we could do, go directly into the Holy of Holies to you, God. Because of Jesus, it has opened that way to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for, for fulfilling this and for being the one who was raised up and the one who invites all nations to come streaming to you. As we saw the, the beginning of that in, in Pentecost and as the word went out and as we see today, be believers all across the world, all over the world, in, in, all across the nations, who are followers of you, Jesus. We thank you for, 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 for beginning that when you first came, Jesus. And we thank you that one day you will come again. And when you come again, Jesus, then you will bring about the final fulfillment of this vision that we get in Isaiah, where, where we will see all nations, all people coming to you, and, 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 and where we will see one day this, this part of the vision that we don't see today right now, Lord, of peace, of, of peace. Uh, happening here on earth where nations no longer are at war with one another, where, where weapons are laid down. Jesus, we, we long for, for your coming again, where we will see the fulfillment of that, Lord, where you will be all in all and where there will be no need for war anymore. But we pray that even today, Lord, that we as your people would, would model that in our relationships with one another, Jesus. That we, that we would, would show a glimpse of this vision that Isaiah had in our relationships uh, amongst one another, Lord, that we together would, would lay down any weapons of war, those, those, war those, those ways that we sometimes fight with one another, that we lay them down and come to you, Jesus, the one who settles disputes, the one who is our peace, the one who has established peace between God and us, and who also invites us to experience peace amongst each other, Lord. And so, Lord, we, we pray, Lord, that you would come Come quickly, Lord, to fulfill this vision of Isaiah in all of its fullness one day. But we thank you for giving us glimpses of it and and what you have established and, and opened up to us even now, Lord, because you came. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.